The Lord be with you. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. You know, someone after the service asked me, uh, this was a good one. They said, um, you know, after that sermon, Pastor, how can we possibly sing, Lord, Thee I love with all my heart? Nice, nice. So I thought that I'd kind of repeat my very short answer there, even though it's a big theological topic, is that um, even though these hearts of ours are severely impoverished, by sin and corruption. Um, it's also true that the new man in Jesus Christ loves God, you know, delights in the law of God, delights in the will of God. So um, the Christian in you, the baptized saint in you, you know, that's the way we, we can pray the Psalms the way that, that we do, and that's the way we can sing these hymns the way we do, that we can boldly and confidently and cheerfully, you know, uh, sing, Lord Thee, I love, I love Thee with all my heart. It's true. It's true for the new man. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. So, uh, hey, today should be fun. We're doing Jacob Flees from Laban. Um, there's a lot of narrative here. There's a lot of story. So, this is this is going to be kind of broken up into uh, two parts with Dr. Gurman and I. I'm going to, uh, we're going to be dealing with Jacob leaving the household of Laban, the Aramean, and we will see him uh, return to the, or begin his return to, to the land of uh, promise in Canaan. So Laban departs, excuse me, Jacob departs from Laban's household, and then Dr. Gurman next week is going to have a look at the uh, kind of confrontation and resolution, if you want to call it a resolution, between Laban and, uh, and Jacob. So, um, you know, last week we had the battle of the, kind of the battle of the sister wives with uh, Leah and Rachel. And um, you see both Leah and Rachel vying for you know, more children and for their husband's affection. And there's all sorts of jealousy there and, and envy. And you see that marital union degraded in some way by, the, by that jealousy and all the scheming and yet the promises of God, you know, goes on. If you haven't noticed, that's kind of the big theme of working through these patriarchs here that you have these families with some real issues and yet you know there are the promises of God and they're not obstructed you know they're not hindered um, you know I really just I really like the, uh, the example of Leah is really interesting among my catechism students we all say Leah though because we like Star Wars so much <laughs> but we know her as the one who has dim eyes you know scholars talk a lot about what that, what that means, and um, but I think in 
juxtaposition of Rachel is, you know, she's not the best looking, not the best looking gal. And, you know, we hear that she is, uh, you know, treated horribly by her father, really, treated like cattle and kind of mistreated. And then her own, um, through this trick, her own husband is not giving her the affection there. Uh, the text last week said that she was, she was hated, you know. She was despised there, and yet God saw her and had mercy on her and, and uh, opened her womb, is the language there, and richly blessed her with, with children. Um, and then, of course, she falls into some, some uh, trouble there. Um, I really think that her, um, and I'm sure Dr. Grimman hit on this, that her kind of working to earn her, her uh, Jacob's love is something of a picture of, of us too, and, and this continued theme of works righteousness. And, you know, in the end, she learns to trust in God and to commend herself into his... Uh, into his perfect care. Um, you know, in a time also of, uh, you know, reproductive technologies and all sorts of things like that, I think this story also speaks to us as far as how much, you know, we should kind of manipulate this gift of life. You have, um, you know, Rachel who really drills into her husband, Jacob. Remember that? Give me children or I'll die. You know, pretty dramatic there. And, such a desire there for the gift of children. And, and Jacob, you know, he kind of turns around and let her has it too. You know, am I in God's place, right? Um, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, right? And uh, children are a heritage from the, from, from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. So, you know, beyond that, all those kind of issues... You know, we're, we're sensitive in how we talk about those things because all this really has to do with individual pastoral care and, and prayer and, um, and uh, with God. That's where um, these things are worked out. But uh, it's always best just to learn to think of the gift of marriage and children and all these blessings in the way that Scripture teaches us to speak about them. Dr. Patterson? I just was thinking we're going to be hearing a lot about Joseph's sin, but before we skip over Judah there, through whom our Lord comes, uh, Rich echoes here, I think, about uh, the suffering service, servant that he was despised and rejected. And so he's you know, coming from the fruit of the womb of Leah, the one who was despised and rejected by her own husband. Mm. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Yeah, very nice. Hey, we'll be, we have our catechism students here, and we all need refreshment. Seventh commandment. I want you to think about this a little bit through the narrative today. What's the seventh commandment altogether? You shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. So if you work through these explanations, especially with the commandments, you probably heard me talk about this before, that you always have a negative prohibition, but also this kind of positive exhortation, you know? So these commandments are never just a thou shalt not, but you have a, a picture and image and description of what the holy life of faith in Christ looks like, looks like. We also do this in catechism. So you, 
so all of you uh, get to enjoy this here. This is just kind of matching terms, matching Bible names and terms. And even for you adults and learned people, you know, it doesn't hurt just to make sure you got this stuff dialed in. Okay, Rebecca's brother and the one of Bethuel's sons. Jacob flees to, flees to him after tricking Esau out of Isaac's blessing. He agrees to give Jacob his daughter Rachel as a wife in exchange for seven years of work. But after the seven years are up, he tricks Jacob by giving him Rachel's sister, Leah, instead. Lazarus! Yeah, boy! Laban. Very good. The younger son of Isaac and Rebekah and the twin of Esau. He bought Esau's birthright for a bowl of stew and tricked his father into giving him the blessing that would have gone to his brother. Luther. Yeah, nice. The daughter of Laban and favorite wife of Jacob. Jacob worked for seven years to win the right to marry her, but was tricked into marrying her sister instead. So we worked another seven years that she might become his wife. How about some Miriam first? Rachel. Rachel. Yeah. Rachel's older sister and the first wife of Jacob by the trickery of her father Laban. Una. Yeah. The wife of Isaac and the mother of Esau and Jacob. Grace. Rebecca. Rebecca. The son of promise born to Abraham and Sarah. His name means laughter. His wife was Rebecca. His two sons were Esau and Jacob. I just want you to have, have the family tree kind of worked out just for this Bible story today. Dr. Patterson. Isaac. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. The Old Testament town near Jerusalem, which means house of God, it was named by Jacob after he received a vision from the Lord on this site. Nara. Bethel. Bethel. Excellent. Okay. So um, let's get into the text. Let's do this. And we're hey, we're going through quite a bit of text here. We're going through quite a bit of narrative. So and I apologize in advance if we don't do a deep dive on, on everything and anything you're you're hoping for. So I want to work through this narrative and look, I'll try to do my best to give you some spiritual commentary as it, as it, uh, as it comes. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go for you know the service that I have given you. Okay, so this is, um, you know, we have the birth of Joseph here. Uh, this is after s Jacob's seven years of service for Rachel, which is tacked on to Jacob's seven years of service for Leah. Okay, this is 14 years. And, um, you know, he's coming, to, uh, he's coming pretty respectfully to to Laban here, and really kind of begging and pleading for uh, for a release. Um, you know, just as review, remember how we remember how Jacob got to this place called Haran. It was kind of a two two part sort of issue. You had the um, you know the deception and the tricking, and then you have Esau 
who's after blood, right? So uh, Jacob's brother is coming after him. He's resolved to murder his own brother. And his mother, Rebecca, uh, organizes a plan to get him out of there. Um, and she doesn't go to Isaac and say, hey, you, you know, your son is trying to, wants to kill Jacob, but she, you know, she's got this plan to lay it nice and easily before Isaac and uh, wants him also to Haran to find a wife, to find a wife from Abraham's sort of old stomping grounds there. Um, you remember that uh, Esau had married some Hittite women that had made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. So you have this two-part plan. He's escaping Esau, and he's also going for a wife. At this point, you know, the contract has been fulfilled. Contract's been fulfilled here, and um, you know, Jacob's probably getting a little homesick. He knows this is a temporary excursion. He's desiring to go back to the land of promise. He's thinking about all the preaching of his, uh, of his father and family, and he has a desire to go to the promised land. His situation is also different because he's not coming with uh, empty hands as a, as a bachelor. You know, he's got a, a big family, man, right? This is a big crew. And he's starting to think about all these responsibilities that he has, and he sees that he's really abused here and mistreated and is looking to, uh, to care for his family. How is Laban going to respond, right? What do you think? But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. I kind of intentionally put that pause there between the, the verses. And how does he, uh, what sort of address is that? How is Laban addressing him? You know, if I have found favor in your sight, and where do you typically hear that language? Does that sound familiar to you? Where have you heard that before? Dr. Lane? It's usually a prayer to God or a king or someone yeah. high authority. Right, right. Um, this is used, I think we talked about this a bit when uh, Abraham is welcoming the three visitors, that theophany account. Um, this is the sort of language that Moses uses on Mount Sinai uh, to the Lord. It's the sort of um, language that uh, you see repeatedly in Holy Scripture. Um, um, Esther, this is the way she speaks before the king of, of Persia. You know, this is a very uh, respectful, uh, polite gesture with lots of reverence to one in a high authority. So, you know, if you know some of the story coming here, um, what do you read into that? How do you interpret that with this Laban guy here? Sincere? Yeah, Trent? Okay. Yeah, the, the Hebrew is kind of dealing with... Um, these derive like from the word of serpents, and uh, um, when it's used in the when it's used in the scriptures, this is a pretty negative thing. You know, this is a pretty negative thing. Balaam's you know into this sort of stuff, and it's condemned in Judges and um, 
So, yeah, so something's going on here. It's, you know, and I think scholars kind of think through this differently. They, you know, you take sometimes your household gods, which I think we'll get to later, and you're kind of speaking with the household gods and receiving this message. But basically, yeah, you're in, you're in some supernatural demonic sort of territory. Is, is the way, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. So I think that maybe illuminates maybe, uh, yeah, how Laban's dealing with them. You kind of have this, I think, some false flattery here. And then you have um, him consulting, I don't know what his mediums are working through the household idols and, you know, something's going on with, with omens here. And kind of the funny part for me is like, you know, do you really need divination or a medium to figure out you're reaping it in and you're cashing in big time in this guy? It's like, you know, I don't know if he needs help with consulting mediums on, you know, that God is, you know, richly blessing him through Jacob. He's receiving all these material gifts and he's enriching himself, just kind of hanging on to, hanging on to Jacob here. So, yeah, good question. Laban wants him to, Laban wants him to stay. Why do you think he wants him to stay here? I guess it's clarified a little later. It, it kind of seems like it's it's almost a half-truth that this divination is told, that the, the Lord has blessed me because of you. Uh, is, he, is he trying to hang on to him? It's like, oh, i gotta, I got to hang on to this guy because the Lord is blessing me because, because he's here. I want him to stick around, but... Yeah, but the Lord would bless him if he would. Sure. Yeah, good point, Joe. So yeah, there's an element of a of a of a truth here that uh, if he would be yeah open and receptive, and how much you know, what sort of thanksgiving do you see for Jacob here? What sort of thanksgiving do you see for the preaching, the promises, the blessings that God is just kind of lavishing upon this household on Jacob's account? You don't really see a a whisper of that, and it's all just you know, yeah, but this very sinful desire for, for cashing in. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you um, wherever I turned. But now when I, but now, when shall I provide for my own household also? And Laban said, what shall I give you? So Jacob's pretty measured in his speech here. I think he's pretty, you know, pretty gentle with his, with his greedy father-in-law. I think he treats him far better than the way he ought to be you know, treated here. Um, Jacob is looking to get out of there. He's been here 14 years. This is no cushy life. You know, he's working on a farm. He's doing husbandry, he might be in crops too. You know, I had, um, you know, most of my folks at my previous parish up north, most of them were farm folks. I mean, you know, maybe some of you come from families like this, but, th you know, there's, there's not a day off, man. <laughs> there, there's no vacation on the farm. Um, and Jacob is looking for, um, he's looking to uh, return to the land of promise here. Um, he's, you know, he's saying, I, I've served you faithfully. I've labored uh, night and day. 
And he's also recognized, hey, when I showed up, you know, you didn't have anything. And I don't think he's boasting. I don't think he's being sharp or argumentative. I think he's just kind of telling it like it is and confessing uh, the faith that wherever he's turning, God is, is blessing him. And he's recognizing the promise that God spoke to him at, at Bethel when the God promised to be with him. And I love that language, you know, he's being blessed wherever, wherever he turns. And his, his, his concern here is, is for his family. His concern is for his family. He's basically saying, hey, what about my, what about my family? He recognizes that the greed of his father-in-law isn't, isn't good here. It's not good for his, his family and his wife and, and children. Um, it makes me uh, think about that verse from 1 Timothy chapter 5. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his own household, right, he is denied the unbeliever. So what does Laban want to do? He wants to work out another deal. Optimistic about that? How'd the last deal go? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. You shall not give me anything. You know, he kind of wants to make a clean, clean break of things. But if you do this for me, I will again pasture, uh, pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pasture all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. So he's trying to do everything above board here, right? wants to keep everything. Everyone that is not, every, anyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be stolen. So, you know, Jacob is not asking for uh, anything here. He's not looking for gold or silver, not looking to cash in. Um, but because Laban's kind of insisting on some sort of deal here, Jacob wants to settle basically for some irregular goats and lambs, you know, the ones that are speckled or spotted. Um, this way, um, you know, there will be no accusations of cheating, you know, that it will be crystal clear what belongs to him. So basically he wants to take irregular animals, the variegated animals, kind of the, the runs or the, you know, the less attractive ones. Uh, and he wants to kind of start a little... Uh, kind of a starter flock, okay? Any questions thus far before we move ahead here? Okay, Laban says, good. Let it be done as you have said. Yeah, Luke. Is there anything, is it just like an aesthetic blemish that they're striped or black, and is it just to keep them accountable, or is there any like substantive, these are actually worse, yeah, I don't. Yeah, maybe I should. Maybe I shouldn't necessarily say that. I don't think it's probably. Uh, it's probably more of just a. Yeah, a visual thing. Um, so basically, Laban's going to keep the. Generally, goats are dark, and generally, sheep are white. And as I understand it, and the the grammar is really interesting. <laughs> you know, as this goes along here, but as I'm reading it, it's, it's the deal is that Laban's going to keep the solid colored animals and, and uh, 
Jacob's going to keep the speckled, spotted, mottled. How else are they translated? Yeah, striped. Yeah. So I, I don't think there's any uh, different quality about the animal itself. I think it's more of a you know, just aesthetic thing. Dr. Grumman, any thought on that? Eventually we'll find he gets the stronger yeah. ones too. Yeah, that's right. It's, it starts with the visual. Yeah, thanks. But then at the end, it's going to be, wait, he ended up with the stronger ones too, even though yeah. they still look visually. Yeah, thanks. So at the end, as this breeding does go on, kind of at the end of the account that we'll see, um, you know, through God's word, through the word of the Lord, through the blessing of the Lord, you know, there's some, there's some payout here, and Jacob is richly rewarded, where kind of at the end of the day, at the end of these six years, his animals are looking strong and healthy, you know, st striped, mottled, speckled, and uh, Laban's are, are weak. Yeah. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Well, what's going on there? That very same day, what happened? That very same day, what happened? How are you reading that? What's Laban up to here? Judy? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, right. So before the day ends, you know, Laban, he just, he, he's going, he can't even deal with the anxiety of losing out on anything here. So he's already taking these really significant steps to reduce the likelihood that Jacob will receive any speckled or spotted or striped animal. So basically, uh, he's kind of stealing what, you know, could have been advantageous to Jacob and his little starter flock, you know, to get some of these animals um, as part of his own. So Laban is essentially reducing the chance that he'll have anything, so that no recessive gene is going to be there for spotted. Does that make sense? Isaac? Um, <laughs> uh, not really. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, yeah, that's about seven years of, of famine and seven years of plenty. And uh, I'm not reading any sort of forecast in here about, about that. It's, I think just a different, different situation. Okay. Yeah. Could, could Shouldn't be successful, turns out to be yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. You see it with, yeah, you see it with Leah and her fruitfulness, and uh, you see it with, uh, yeah, with what Jacob does here. That he, against all odds, God is going to richly, richly bless him. Okay, so I think that's clear.
Then Jacob took fresh, this is where it gets weird, man. It gets weird. It's almost like the, it's almost like, uh, I don't know how much time you guys spent with mandrakes a week or two ago, but it's almost like mandrakes all over from me. But, but we'll talk about this. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. The flocks bred in front of the sticks so that the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. Okay, what in the world? <laughs> what in the world is going on here? So, you know, you have three different trees, three different branches, and Jacob is peeling away the, the bark of these, uh, of these stalks, and he's basically putting them in the troughs so that when the animals, you know, are seeing these white stalks, maybe in contrast to the dark stalks, some sort of variation there, that they're seeing these, this is also the place where the animals are mating. And the idea here is that uh, when they see the white and speckled spots, that they are um, producing speckled, striped animals. So it's wild. Um, th there's kind of this historic thought that at the moment of conception, whatever the eyes of the woman are upon has some significant... Uh, bearing on gene expression. And, uh, you know, I don't know how far you want to push that. There's also some thought about um, some sort of, you know, and if that's maybe too much for you, you know, there's also, you know, there's a pretty strong consensus that whatever the mother's health is at the moment of conception, that's like 99.9%, you know, influential over the over the, the life of that child, you know, uh, in terms of g gene expression. Very influential, so. So, uh, so it's not a scientific comment, but. Yeah. <laughs> so, you could probably suppose that whatever the effect was, or however it's supposed to have worked, that Jacob believed it would work. Do you think that, that God is, um, that God's working through this I, I th well, I think it becomes, I mean, little, you know, uh, um, I mean, the, the big point at the end is that it's, you know, ultimately, um, no, it's not, it's not any of this. God is going to bless. And, you know, it's hard to know. Maybe, you know, Jacob is also living in a wild place, you know. There's some, you know, there's some pagan practices, there's some occult things going on, and there's probably some wonky husbandry rituals with raising animals and fertility that are going on. And I think, I think the big point, as will become clear as we work through it, is that God is, uh, you know, God is blessing them regardless. I don't think it has everything to do with, you know, um, you know these, these reeds or whatever the exact practice is. At the same time, you can't totally discount it. And later, it's also kind of interesting because when Jacob finally gets out of here, he's recalling the dream where he's told to get out to his wives. 
And he's recalling this dream about the breeding. And the interesting thing for me is he doesn't whisper a word about, the, about any of this stuff, which you know, leads me to think it's not, you know, it's not really the point. Luther gets kind of funny on it, though. He basically says, hey, it's magic. You know, God, God taught him some sort of magic and, and is blessing him in this. So I don't know. You guys like Tolkien and Lewis. You're probably open to that stuff. Um, um, that kind of calls to mind you know, uh, you know, what, what the Lord did through Moses later on in Egypt, where he, you yeah. know, he turns his staff into a... a yeah, God works through these things. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Pharaoh's magicians were trying to do the same. Yeah, yeah, we're not opposed to that. Right. So, yeah, whatever it is, God is, God is blessing him through this, and we don't have a strong condemnation of God, uh, from God against this. And I don't know, I'm open-minded here. I mean, maybe the, you know, I often think that the ancients, when it comes to technology or, or, or animals and husbandry and breeding cattle, they probably had things figured out better than we do. I don't know. Who knows? They could be onto something here. The nutrients, or anyways. I also checked out ancient Christian commentary on this stuff, just because I was serious. You know that big volume where you get to read the Church Fathers, and you got three trees. You know, you got troughs of water. You got, you know, st- you got baptism. You got three crosses. They're off to the races. You know, running on this sort of stuff. Yeah, you got three. Right, right. So they're having all sorts of fun with that, and. You know, we're not, uh, we're not opposed to any of that. So they saw the cross, they saw baptism, they saw new life and, and all that. Yeah, Freddie. What's that, Freddie? Yeah, I'm not a farm kid. I, I don't know, are there striped goats? Must be. There, and, I, and I don't know if it's big stripes, Freddie. I think it's also kind of model or little imperfections. I think, I think those are pretty elastic, sort of flexible words that can mean small imp- imperfections in their, in their coat. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you, Google. Right? <laughs> Images. All right, let's press on. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in front of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. So this gets really wild because it's not just the sticks and the troughs, but they're also looking at the When they're breeding, they're looking at the striped, speckled, mottled cattle. And that's influencing the conception and gene expression. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly. And there's a big emphasis on that. You know, his wealth is exploding. And the large flocks, and had large flocks, female servants, and male servants, and camels, and donkeys. So all of a sudden, you have this breeding going on, and 
Jacob is being blessed and enriched and his possessions are increasing exponentially in this ridiculous sort of way is the way the text is, re- is reading here. James? Yeah, sure. I, yeah, I think that's a great theme, just in general with the, with the scriptures. Yeah, yeah God's, yeah, God's strength is made perfect and and weakness, and and this is, you know, what, how we Christians carry, carry the faith. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, but on the heart. So, any questions thus far? Any questions here? You know, he's doing some selective breeding here, Judy. Dr. Grimman, any thoughts? I hate to put you on the spot there. I don't. Yeah, just again, in the eyes of the world. It's kind of out of Corinthians, you know, the shameful or the weak things, foolish things of the world. Yeah. That are despised, and yet there's an inner blamelessness there. Mm-hmm. The yeah. Sacrifice. I like that. It is amazing that they that he gets blessed like that. It's kind of like the mandrakes thing where. You know, what is this? Well, yeah. maybe the, the Lord still works through it and blesses and he sounds like Abraham. Yeah. In exile, he's coming out with way more than he had going in. Right, right. Yeah. You know, if you want to work on, just if you want to reflect a little bit spiritually on what's going on with Jacob here, you know, um, you know, he, he gets here with nothing. He gets to Iran with nothing. Um, he's in he's in exile, really. He's he's a man on the run. He's impoverished. Uh, everything is really stacked against him, and he's working under something of a, a tyrant. And even God is just blessing him in this ridiculous way. And you can think about your own, uh, you know, your own life in this sort of way. About you know, at least I can. When you look back at certain times of your life where you're, you know, you're really kind of hanging by a thread and things are, you know, everything seems to be uh, stacked against you. Um, one little story I, I like to tell is my second year of seminary. You know, I had come into seminary with quite a bit of debt from my undergrad and I met a seminary studying my second year in Fort Wayne. And uh, maybe I've told this story to some of you. And my dad had lost his job my second year at SEM. And so I was thinking about my situation there. And it just didn't seem res- like responsible to be there at all. So I packed up my clothes, packed up my books. I told the dean of students I was out. Here are the reasons why. And literally the same day, I received a... Uh, I received a letter 
written by um, a group of Sunday school students in Salisbury, Missouri with a check for $500. And they, they saved up their money for a whole year um, in their Sunday school to send to a random seminarian. Isn't that wild? And so, you know, I opened that up, I saw that check, and you know, it's a very emotional thing, even now as I think about it. And, you know, we're Lutheran, so, you know, we believe God only, you know, works through his word and speaks through word and sacrament. But, you know, in those moments, I mean, God is speaking loudly and clearly, you know. Maybe, you, should, you know, you could stay here. <laughs> you know, they think you should stay. So, you know, I unpacked all my bags, uh, unpacked the books, and said, I'm going to press in. If they think I should be here, I'm going to press on. And, you know, it's a very generous gift. Is it everything in comparison to the needs there? Not really, but, you know, it's just kind of one example of how God, you know, in, really enriches us. Um, you know, for your newlyweds, I also kind of think about that too. When Christine and I got married, you kind of like, uh, you get married, you don't really have anything. And you're looking at her debt and your debt and you're, you know, going off to seven, you're thinking about rent and bills and caring your, for your family. And if you do the, if you actually start cracking numbers, it's actually impossible, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like, if you actually are responsible enough to kind of, like, think through it in a rational way, there's no way, you know, you're going to do this thing. But then you get to seminary, and all of a sudden, there's this food co-op there, and uh, you get, like, cards in the mail from LWML groups all over the country with little gifts or, um, you know, generous little tokens, and all of a sudden, you find that you're, you're just lavishly, richly cared for. Um, and then, in a way, it also happens when you get your first call, you know, spoiler alert, and you're kind of like checking out salary. Not that I'd ever say anything negative about, about how, how it works up there, but you're still kind of thinking about debt and how, you know, okay, so we're going to buy a house, and we're going to get everything we need, and, and then once you get there, you find yourself like living like kings and queens, and you're just rich, and you don't, you don't even know what to do with all the blessings that God has given you. So, and I don't know, when you look back at your life, I mean, you know, it looks a little bit like, like Jacob. You just don't have much, and then God is just rewarding you in these, uh, in these unbeliev unbelievable ways, richly and, and daily. So I'm sure you all have experiences Similar to that. Oh, man. Yeah. Push forward, but yeah. Just to make a comment on, on that and what also Dr. Beat says, that you do have this sense where he is just simply trusting in his own resources, but in the midst of trusting in his own resources, he's trusting in the Lord. And you get that, that repetition at the start of this whole, whole scene where he says, send me away, I want to go home to my own country. And then it's, but you don't have that, the Lord commanded, and then he said, but you do get that afterwards, yeah, and the Lord some... then commands it. Right. So there is this way in which the Lord is blessing Jacob, even as he's, he's kind of just doing what he knows to do at the moment, yeah. and the Lord is blessing him. And I think that's a, 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 as you're getting at, the way that the Lord Lord's providence works is that um, the ones he loves, he blesses mm -hmm. uh, in ways that we don't fully understand. We're just trying to do the next thing. Yeah, I like that. And Luther loves that too. That's a continuing theme in his commentary. He just, 
you know, he, he's accepting that there's weakness in all these patriarchs and all these saints and that yeah, even, even in these weaknesses and times where you're just kind of struggling and just kind of, you know, trying to get through the day, that God is, you know, God's a part of that. He's blessing that. He's involved with that. And he's not, yeah, he's not disapproving. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's just uh, blessing you as you work in through these normal trials and struggles with the resources that you got before you. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Okay, things are going to shift a little here. Now, Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And from, and from what our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Um, you know, God has blessed Jacob richly against all odds. He's, he's so rich, he's blessed him uh, greatly here. Laban's sons are, are seeing all this. They don't like it. This is the first time we hear of Laban's sons, and you get the sense it's, it's not just a one-on-one conflict, but really dealing with uh, the bigger family here. Hey, there's envy. There's envy and suspicion of one another. Um, so the stakes are getting high here. Now, is it true that he's taken all that was his father's and he's gotten all of his wealth from his father? Not at all. That's a lie. That's just slander. And... Uh, Laban's wealth has increased exponentially. So let's not forget about that. In the selective breeding, you know, you got some, uh, you know, you have some interesting stuff going on with, uh, with Jacob here. Um, but it's just that Jacob's flocks are increasing in proportion to Laban's flocks, which are increasing. Okay? So there's some real hostility there. Our text says that Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor. Now, that's a little weak. This is really dealing with the with uh, panim, the panim. He, he literally, you know, is seeing Laban's countenance, his face that is turned toward him. He's, he's looking at him with slit and hostile eyes. I saw it. Dr. Patterson? Yeah, I just was thinking. I, I don't know if these sons were aware of the original um, agreement there, but just to give them a, maybe a little credit here, Laban took away everything that should have been Jacob's. He took away all the spotted and speckled and black ones. Yeah. And so technically he did only, he only had Laban's flock. And then from that, gained all of his wealth. And so they're seeing like, you know, you double-crosser. Uh, what happened? We took all those spotted ones. How did you get spotted ones when you started with solid ones? Yeah. And so I think they do have somewhat of an argument, even though they're totally mistaken. I just, I don't think they know what's going on. Yeah, and we're also dealing with, you know, with lies and deception from Laban and some continued yeah, right, yeah. monkey business. But, uh, boy, I want to get through some more. Let me just I want to think about how I want to do this in a quick way. I got I to gotta work through the text. I got to set up Gurman for next week here. All right. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and your kindred, and I will be with you. So you have a, you got a command from the Lord. you got direct marching orders now. You know, there is a desire to return home earlier, which was great. You know, Jacob expressed a desire to return home to Canaan, to the promised land. Now you've got the angel speaking. You know, now you've got God speaking in a direct way to, uh, to, uh, to Jacob. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, 
I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. I'm underlining this stuff for a reason. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit me, him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Anything strike you rhetorically about, um, about Jacob's speech to his wives here? He's taking them in the field kind of in secret. He's having a family meeting. He's laying out this command from the Lord. Remember, they got a big family. He's having a committee meeting. He's saying, God spoke to me. Wants you to come with me. This is why. Um, well, for some reason, um, it pops in my head of God taking what is Christ and giving it to us. I don't know if that's what you're giving at here or not, but it's everything that is the Father's is given to us. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of dealing with, um, you know, rhetorically, you see a contrast between, it's, you know, notice he's not calling them Laban, you know. If you ever get angry with your mother-in-law or father-in-law, your, you know, your father, or your, you know, you shouldn't do that, right. But he's built, rhetorically, he's building up, I think, a contrast between, you know, your father and the God of my fathers. You know, look how your father is treating you, you know squandered your, you know, squandered your inheritance, squandered your money, uh, you know, cheated us, uh, mistreated us. But let me tell you about my, my God and the God of my fathers. He's, he's blessed me. He's protected me. He's been with me. So dealing with this contrast here. Um, about a year ago, I read this article in Touchstone Magazine. It was an article called The Inevitability of the Patriarchy. The inevitability of patriarchy. He was kind of working through, well, he's dealing with, you know, radical feminism and all these other sorts of things, the socialists, but also dealing more theologically with this idea that either you're under the lordship and fatherhood of God or you're under the, you know, kind of the false patriarchy where there's no forgiveness and, and no mercy. So it's not as though you're kind of opting out of one or the, you're either in one or you're in the other. So I think he's setting up a, a distinction between the two the two patriarchs. Either you're under the true fatherhood and patriarch of God or you're under a tyrant. You know? And if you wanted, you could draw that through Genesis. I know Gurman and I have had some fun with that where you have the two churches. You know? Yeah. I, I was just going to bring up that, that very thing. Is that we, we've, been on, we've been on this train for uh, a couple of years in, uh, in Bible study now. Is that there, there's only two, man. Right? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dr. Beats. Very nice. Very nice, Dr. Beach. Thank you. I'm going to skip just a little. I'm just going to keep you for a couple of minutes. 
Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. Okay, so we know that. Does it sound like Rachel and Leah need a lot of convincing here to get out of here? No, they're ready. They're prime. They know it's time. And, um, you know, their fathers treated them horribly. And, uh, you know, the, the bride price, all their money, kind of that dowry that, J, that Laban's supposed to hold, historically, traditionally, that's held as kind of like a trust or insurance in case the, the husband dies. That, you know, that was, that was their money. And Laban pocketed it and used it all, all for himself. I love this line of the wives, look at these faithful wives. I mean, you don't see, it's kind of an interesting distinction of last week where you see Leah and Rachel kind of at each other's throats, filled with jealousy. They're not on the same page, but hey, they're on the same page now. They're unified now. And I love, love this, do what he tells you. Does that remind you anything? That, that language from these faithful women here. I saw Cantor Sprout first. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah, right. It, it sounds a lot like Mary at the wedding at Cana winds out and she gives some instructions to the disciples. What does she say? Do whatever he tells you. I mean, for, the, for, yeah, for your last words written in Holy Scripture, pretty nice. Pretty nice, right? Do what, uh, do what Jesus tells you. Skip it so much. I just wanted to get to the household gods because there's so much fun with that. But I think German's going to have all the fun. It's going to have all the fun. Look, it's, it's a little bit like an exodus, isn't it? It's a little like an exodus. They're all leaving this place of uh, tyranny. The cross and the Euphrates. I mean, it's kind of like a... Um, theologians, they like this language of liminal. They like the idea of boundaries. They're passing over the Euphrates into the promised land. That's a boundary marker, preview of the Exodus. Rachel stole her father's household gods. I want to spend half the time talking about that. Man. But, you know, Dr. Gurman's going to enjoy all the fun. I got great stuff by Luther. It's hard to measure how, how much time this takes. Um, you know, what can you, what can you take with you? Um, you know, I, I guess I just want to leave you with the final image of, of Jacob's deliverance here. You know, he patiently endured a lot of hardship and a lot of trial. This is a time of, of deep humbling and trial and cross for this patriarch, Jacob. You know, we know him as kind of the mama's boy, tent dweller, you know, the deceiver. You know, something different has happened now. He's, out, he's working out in the fields. He's caring for wife and children. He's making sacrifices. And he's trusting in the Lord. This image of uh, crossing the Euphrates is an image of uh, the Exodus. It's, uh, you know, it's the call to faith of, in the gospel. It's a picture of baptism. It's a picture of deliverance from slavery. And uh, it's a picture of salvation in Christ. Ultimately, so let's pray.
Dear Lord God, you helped your servant Jacob and his family in their time of need. You delivered them from evil and saw to their safety and welfare. Guide us on our own pilgrimage through this earthly life. Forgive us when we sin against others and forgive those who sin against us. Deliver us from family conflict and strife by your word and blessing. For in your word, O Lord, there is no deceit, but forgiveness, peace, and everlasting life. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Okay, have a great week, everyone.